Amen. Yeah. Yeah, you can celebrate here. That's good. Go and be seated. Go and be seated. So thankful that you guys are with us here for week two of our series called Label Maker. Last week we talked about just the truth and we see it, we felt it, that our world is very happy to take a label and say, this is who you are, here is your limitations, here are the good things about you, and stick a label on your chest and say, you're stuck here, this is, this is the person you are. And oftentimes we've accepted labels onto our life and who we are that really aren't true to the person we are. We also talked about the fact, you know, labels and organizing stuff, that's great, um, and, and it's okay to be someone who enjoys putting labels on your stuff, but it takes a crazy person to start labeling someone else's stuff. When someone steps into your house and they start labeling the stuff in your kitchen cabinets, you're like, okay, crazy person, this is mine. Get back into your loony bin. You're not welcome here. You can't label my stuff. It takes a crazy person to label someone else's stuff. And the truth is, in Scripture, God has written some, some statements about who you are, about who you are to Him. Labels that are true about the person that you are are found in Scripture. And the truth is that you don't belong to anyone else other than God. You are His. And so His labels that He has written to you, those are the truth. And sometimes those truth statements that God writes about us, they can be hard to accept because we know our past, we know our history, but I want to challenge you today that God's word is always true, and what he has spoken about you is true no matter what your history has looked like. And, and today, I I'm excited for today because I believe today's message from scripture in Ephesians chapter 2, I believe it's going to be clarifying for a lot of people. Because as you've walked through life and as, as you've had an experience with God, I, I believe that that we don't often understand everything that just happened. And I believe that today, as we see this in Scripture, it's going to clarify some things that maybe you've walked through, through before. And I also believe it's going to encourage you guys be, because, man, God's love is, is just so, so rich. And so we're going to open up to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. I'm going to read six verses, so hang with me. Persevere through the block of text. You can do it, all right? So starting at verse 4 in chapter 2 of Ephesians, it says, but God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even when we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved, for he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. So God can, put, so God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us, as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Now, as we get into this passage and the thing that it's going to describe, we're going to break it down in sections as we normally do, but as I was thinking about it, it's reminded me of a parenting moment that if you have kids, you've experienced this, this moment of, of mental insanity. Uh, because when you have young children, you go through quite an ordeal to get them asleep and in bed, but there comes a point in every parent's life where your child, who you worked so hard to get that child to be still and asleep so that you can finally sleep, there's this moment that happens that says, they're sleeping so still. What if they're not alive right now? 
I should go shake this baby that will not go back to sleep to make sure this baby's okay. And you hear the laughters if you haven't had kids yet. It, me and my wife, it's this moment. It happens. And you're like, I just want to make sure that they're alive. I just want to shake them. And, and, you know, me and my wife, we have four kids, so many times I have to be like, just, they're okay. Just don't touch. Don't wake up the baby. But, but it's like, I just I have to know that they're alive. And, and, and as a pastor, sometimes, you know, honestly, getting to the passage, as I'm preaching, there's times where I'm going through and I'm talking about, look at the extravagant way that God has loved us. The fact that even when we were dead in our sins, that, that even then he loved us enough to give his son. And, and as I'm preaching, I'm looking at people in, out here in the congregation and I'm like, is anyone awake? Like, is anyone alive? Is anyone feeling this? Is, this? is this grace that has just radically changed my life and my heart and my family? Has this invaded anyone else's life? And so I'm like, I'm, I'm making you say like, amen. Like, is any, are you with me on this? And make people call back out to me because I want to know who's here, who's alive in this. Because the fact is that, that not the whole world is spiritually alive. And, and what this passage points out at the very beginning is, is that, but, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even when we were dead because of our sins, that this is a scriptural truth that we're not naturally Christians. We're born and then we go through life and we have to make a decision about what we believe about God. And I can remember in my life when I was spiritually dead as scripture describes it. And in fact, I would drive past a large church and I'd be like, man, they just must be corrupt. Like, it's crazy that people are giving their money to this. Like, what would ever possess someone that would give their money? And why did they go in there sing? And why are they passionate about it? And the whole thing, it just didn't make sense to me. As 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says that, you know, the things of the Spirit are foolishness to, to those who don't know God. And, and so I was in that category. And, and then as I began to, to see what God was like in the lives of some, some people that were following him. I remember the moment when I was 17 and I first believed. And, and I had no clue what was going on. I, I would have never described myself as spiritually dead. But there was this moment where I believed. And I would have just described it as, man, I, I believed. And, and it's been good since that happened. Like God's been showing up and he's been doing things. But, but the fact is that I had a point where I had to make a decision. And, and the first truth that I want us to take from this passage, there's th three truths I want us to see. The first one is you were once dead. Spiritually, you were once dead. And, and as the passage describes, there, you know, there is a moment where we believe and God replaces what was dead with what can never die. And even when we were dead towards the things of God, God was so rich in mercy. He loved us so much that even though because of that, as verse 5, picking up the passage again, it says that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ. And, and often when people look at our lives, you know, I, I've, had, I've, I've been a Christian for a while now, and so I've had people, you know, say, Paul, you know, I, I don't think I could live life the way that you live life um, because, you know, that I live, you're good and you've got it all together. And I'm like, man, you know what? I couldn't live life the way that, that I live life either, but it's something that God's doing in me. I'm digging in my bag right now. I apologize. We're going to pull a couple things out to help explain this. There we go. All right. I'm going to invade your space. This is always frightening when the pastor does this, isn't it? All right. I have with me two candles. And... I mean, we, we know what candles are for. Like, we, we light them, and then the, 
what a candle does is it provides some light to a room. I mean, you can take a candle, put it on a table with some food, with a nice chilled beverage, you know, put the Marvin Gaye on, and like the candle, it does a job, right? Um, us guys, we like to take a candle and stare at it and try to touch it, and like we, we can just like enjoy the fire because there's something in us that likes to live, live dangerously. You can take a candle, and it's useful for lighting your fireplace if you're somewhere where there's actually a winter, and you use it, and you put it down there, and it lights the, the tinder, and it gets the, the fire going, and there's lots of things that a candle can do. There's lots of possibilities that a candle can be used for, but like right now, would you just hold your hand out like that for me? Yeah, like that. Like, if I, if I do this, like, there, there's no problem. Like, there, there's no effect. Like, right now, the candle, even though it has these great possibilities, like, if I take it and I wave it near her hair, like, she's not freaking out. Um, be, because right now, the candle, like, even though it has these possibilities of all these things it, it can be used for, we know what it can do, but, but it's missing something. And no matter what I do with this candle, this candle is not going to light itself, Right? And just in our own way, you know, we're born, and what Scripture teaches is that we're, we're spiritually dead, that, that we can't make ourselves come alive spiritually. We, no matter how good we are, no matter how much we strive, no matter how much we give to church, no matter how much we go to church, we personally can't make ourselves come alive. But we have to have an interaction with God. We have to have a touch. Oh, I just blew it out because I talk really loud. A touch from God. Now, I would not advise that you hold your hand and just hang out over that. And, like, I'm not allowed to bring it near your hair anymore, am I? No. Uh, because now that the candle is lit, now that the candle is fulfilling its purpose, it can actually do something. It actually has an effect. It's different than an unlit candle in the fact that the purpose that it was designed for, it can now achieve it. In the same way, that moment where you believe, as this passage teaches, that moment where you believe you are made to come alive, and you are made and able to fulfill your purpose in life and eternity. That's good. I wanted to do that. If you keep it too long, sprinklers come on. Not a good idea. Um, the, the fact is, there's this outside touch that has to happen for a candle to fulfill, you know, what it was designed to do. And the same thing is true in us. That, that we have these possibilities of what we can do. People, you know, look and say, you could live your life like this. But no matter how moral you are, we are dead in our sins, as verse 8 says, until God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. Saved by grace the moment when you believed. And, you know, I just want to also kind of go back to this for just a second. You know, if, if this candle is lit and this candle is dead, it, I want to make sure we have the right culture and the right scriptural understanding of our life and our world that we live in. If I'm, you know, the lit candle... It does not make any sense, according to this passage, for me to say, man, you know, the, these other people who are spiritually dead, I can't stand them. Like, I cannot, I cannot handle your deadness. Like, you are so, so terrible. I'm going to post about how, how horrible you are on social media. I'm going to distance myself from you. I'm not going to let our paths cross because I'm alive and you are dead, and I can't handle your deadness. But as this passage says, we can't boast about the fact that we have been made alive in Christ. We, we can't boast about the fact that it was God who made us alive, and it's God who is enabling this change in desires, this change in the way that we live. All of that is attributed to God so that none can boast, so we don't look at the world and say, man, you guys are so dead, I can't stand you, I don't want you around me. We should be looking at them with compassion, because doesn't it make sense that if they, in their life, they don't have 
you know, the, the presence and the love and the grace of God filling their life. They don't have a church family that's walking along them through struggles and holding them up. Doesn't it make sense? They would just chase after anything that in the moment is going to help get them through the next week and the next day. Doesn't it make sense that they're going to turn towards drugs or substances or, or trying people or whatever, using whatever they can get to make life be okay for this season? We don't look at them with contempt. We don't look at them with hate. We don't look at them with judgment because we were once dead, but God made us alive and gave us a fullness that can only be found in him. And that fullness starts, that life starts at that moment where we believe. And so we're not any better than anyone else in the world, but we have just had this experience with God that has begun to change our lives. And as this passage describes it, God saved you by grace when you believed, and we can't take credit for it. This occurrence happens that causes us to come alive. And it doesn't matter when that happened in your life. For some of you guys, it was when you were a child, and and you were so young, you can't remember a time where you didn't believe in God. And that's awesome. There's no shame in that. Some of you guys, as a teenager, you came to Christ like I did, and and it just changed the direction of your life. Some of you guys were older, maybe even into retirement, and and you, even though you've lived most of your life away from God, you found him, and you came alive, and you're living for him now. And some of you guys sit here today, and you have not yet made a decision about God. You've hung around the church. You've experienced some of it. And I want to, and some of you guys actually made the decision, and you know that you've come alive in God, but you've just never known kind of this terminology, the way that Scripture describes it, because there's a point where you believed, and man, life just started getting better. But this is how Scripture describes it, is that we're not dead, and this, this is point two. You are alive. If you are in Christ, you are alive. If, you, if you've placed your faith in him, if you've made that decision, as scripture says, you've believed in your heart and confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, is the promise that's found in scripture. And so if you've made that decision, there's no question, there's no doubt of whether or not when I face God, am I going to be welcomed into his kingdom? There's no doubt. And I want you to know, I believe that there's also no, no doubt because when you make that decision, it begins to change your life. It begins to change the way that your desires are. It begins to change the way that you see other people, the way that you see your city and your workplace. And and so there should be no question in your mind, has God made me alive in Christ? And scripture promises that when we make that decision, he begins his work. A person who is alive in Christ, it's not because of what they have done, but because what God has done. Excuse me one sec. Preserve my voice. For those of you guys who were here last week, you know I was pretty ill last week, but made it through. And, and when we make that decision and we believe and we place our trust in Christ, I believe other people look at it and they see the change. And they begin to say, you know, I don't know if I can live that way. I, I don't know if I can change that way. And for someone who's following Christ, they said, you know what, I can't either. But this is just the result of God at work in me. And then we see this label that God gives us in verse 10 that I think is beautiful. And, and God has created many things. We see throughout Scripture that, that God is a creator. And, and there is a tremendous amount of majesty in everything that he's created. When you sit outside and, and you see the night sky with the stars, I mean, I, liked, I, I will geek out with my telescope and my kids and show them the craters on the moon and how you can see it, the sphere shape of the moon. It's incredible. 
when you look at God's creation in the skies. You go out to the ocean, and, and I mean, you can probably, like me, just sit and watch the waves. And it's so peaceful, and it's so beautiful, and you see this order of what God has done. I've got to go scuba diving before, and been on a reef, and see the fish, and all, all of this plant life that is just so amazing. It blows my mind the way that God creates things. But through all of his creation, he talks about you in a way that he does not talk about anything else. And in verse 10, it describes it and says that, for we are God's masterpiece. Of all things that he has made in the heavens and in the seas, he considers us his masterpiece. And I can't even fathom the way that God loves us. And when I think of my own history, to try to accept the label of God's masterpiece. It's a large jump for me to try to make because I know, I know my thoughts, I know my history, I know my shortcomings. I look at myself and I say, God, I can't possibly accept that label, but that's the third point and that's what I want you guys to know today. This is the label that God would write on you. You are a masterpiece. And despite your past, despite your history, I, I, I love this illustration. There, there is a mom um, who, who's artistic. She's actually a pastor up here. And, and she took her two-year-old doodles, and I think we have some of these pictures up here, and, and she grabbed her two-year-old and let him doodle on a canvas. And, and he did what two-year-olds do. And honestly, I, I think this is pretty representative of when I live my life on my own apart from God, this is about the best the artwork gets. All right? This is what I look like on my own strength, on my own accord, when I don't follow what Scripture teaches. This is what life ends up looking like. But the cool thing is, she was able to take her two-year-old's two artwork, and then she did this to it. You can see the shapes that were already there. You can see how, how the lines that, that the two-year-old took, they, they were there, and, you know, this is very Cape Coral. It's an owl. Like, we love our owls. But she created this awesome masterpiece out of it. Go to the next one. This is the two-year-old's doodle. What in the world do you do with this? And then go to the next picture. I love that. I love the artistry of it, the fact of the way the hills are rolling up, and you can see all the shapes are preserved of the, this, this scene by the water. And then go to the third one. Do you have, yeah, yeah. Mess of colors. I don't, I don't even know how she saw this in it, but then the next picture is actually, this is the church that she grew up in and where her father was a pastor on a fall day. And I love how, how she could take something so simple, so basic, and turn it into something so beautiful. But in the same way, I believe this is what God's masterpiece, his, his hand at work with the paintbrush in our life. I believe this is what it looks like. We say, God, this is all I could do. No one would want to hang this on the wall. No one would want to know the details of my life. No one, my, my life would never be used to influence anyone else. But God, this is what I have. Here, take it. And he takes it and he turns it into a masterpiece, as the verse describes. And for us, the, the work begins at the moment where we believe. Many of you guys know my kids, but none of you guys can talk about my kids the way that I do. 
Um, that's true when I, you know, especially the negative stuff. Like, you, you know, there's a certain dad mom alarm that goes off when someone talks negatively about your kids. But when, when I look at my kids, I can tell you all about their future. I can tell you all about their passion. Uh, I can tell you how, you know, my just two-year-old son, Anthony, he has this adventurous spirit in him that, it, that just bleeds beyond how any of my other kids were. He's the one who he's trying to balance on the back of the couch and run around and jump off it, and he's got that adventurer spirit. I can tell you Odessa, my five-year-old, she has this compassionate heart where she just wants to, you know, bring someone in close and just hold on to them tighter than any of my other kids. My, my Aaliyah Joy, my seven-year-old, she has this thing in so and take, where like if she sees someone who needs help, she is going to drop everything and she's going to go and take care of them, especially little fluffy animals. Like, I mean, that's just her heart. And, and my daughter Ella, she's someone who, she's, she's a logical processor and she's going to figure it out and she's going to figure out the situation and she's going to make it better. And I see such futures in them that none of you guys could see. But none of my perception compares to what their heavenly Father sees in them. And I know that He sees them, and as much as I love them, and as much as I see these aspirations for their life, there is nothing in my mind like what God sees in their life. And it's easy enough for us to attribute that to a child because we see all that's ahead of them and very little that's behind, but I want to assure you, that's how your heavenly Father sees you too. He doesn't see your mistakes. He doesn't see your shortcomings. He sees the possibilities. In fact, he is most glorified in, a, in the weakest of vessels, I believe. And so whatever your life has looked at like before now, I want to assure you, God has a plan. God is ready to light that fire in your life, but there comes a moment. There comes a moment where you hear the truth, the fact that, that God has sent his son to pay for all of your mistakes, to give you new life. And there comes a point where you have to ask yourself, do I believe? Will I trust him? And what this passage teaches us is at the moment where we believe, his grace covers all of our mistakes. So my question for you, as you sit there today, when was that moment? Was it a, as a child, as a teenager, as an adult? Or right now, is that moment facing you? And you have to decide, what do I believe about God? Scripture's promises when we believe, the moment we believe, He begins a good work in us that He will see through to completion. That addictions will break that habits will be broken and changed, and that he will give you a new life that only he can give. And, you know, to, to close things up, if the band will begin to make their way on the stage, you know, we're compared to a masterpiece, but the fact is we're not like a painting that gets hung on the wall. As far as masterpieces go, we're, we're, we're less like a painting of a fall day, and we're more like a 1969 Camaro Z28 because we weren't meant to just look a certain way. We were meant to go out and do a job. We were meant to go out and run. We were meant to, to achieve something. In that moment where you believe, I believe God begins this work uh, of not just changing the way that things look in your life, but about changing what you do and the impact that you have on, on our city. And so this is what our church is about. 
about propelling this truth that God's grace is so great, it's so extravagant, that it frees us from things that once entangled us. It gives us a new life. It gives us a purpose. And so we want to see this message go through our city. We want to see it change families, change homes, and change hearts. And that message is not propelled by the pastor, but by God's people. And so for those of us who say, we are alive in Christ because I believe it, and because it's changing me, we carry this message into our workplace. We carry it into the grocery store, into our kids' lives, and our kids are carrying it into their schools. Because there's no greater joy than that moment where someone says, I now believe. And I want to encourage you, if that moment is today, take courage, take the step, and allow God to begin a tremendous work in your life. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much that we are no longer slaves to sin, but we have been freed that you have poured out extravagant grace across our lives. And I pray for the person in here today who says, I need to solidify that decision. I believe and I trust you, God. And today, as the eyes are closed and the heads are bowed, if you're making that decision today, would you just raise your hand up so that I can pray for you? I will not embarrass you. I'm just asking for you to take that step. If you're believing today, amen. I see your hand, amen. Put it down, that's awesome. Praise the Lord. I'm so proud of you. Anyone else? Awesome. Praise God, I see your hand. Awesome. Father, I thank you for the courage and people today that are taking that step for the first time, solidifying that decision. And I pray that as they have put their faith and their trust in you, Jesus, that you will begin this work, that you will light that fire in their heart, that you will let them know that the God of the universe loves them and is beginning a work that you will see to completion. Surround them with people who will walk with them and hold them up as they live for you. We are so thankful for what you've done in our lives, and we are so excited to share this grace with the world around us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's let's clap our hands and rejoice. We have people today who made that decision, and God is beginning something awesome. And and man, it's been so exciting to see what God has done in these, you know, six months and two weeks that we've been together. And as we continue our service together, the ushers are going to go ahead and come forward to receive the tithes and offerings. And as always, there is no pressure to give here. But we are chasing after a vision as a community, as Gulfside Church. And for those of you guys who call Gulfside Church home, I'm thankful for you honoring God in the area of your finances. It's enabling us to reach families and help families. And even this last week, we're able to help a family in need because of your giving. So thank you for your generosity. Ushers, would you come forward? And if, um, for those of you guys, a majority of our giving actually comes in through online and text. And there's instructions on your bulletin. If you need to do that, that's awesome. And so once again, there's no judgment. Our biggest givers give online, so they never drop anything in the bucket. So don't feel bad passing the bucket around. And so we're so thankful for those of you guys who give to support the vision here. And I have one other thing, the commitment cards. If you're new here, would you please write on that commitment card? Just give us your name, your email, and your phone. That way we can keep track of you if you'd like to have more information about Gulfside Church. We're so thankful for you guys being here today. Let's worship together.